Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Off the Cuff. My name is Austin Wiggins, and this is the podcast by Hindlight Media, my company. And I wanted to start today by just saying that we are actually approaching a year. We have one more episode after this one, and our first full year of podcasting is completed, which is crazy. And so the way we're doing this, we release every two weeks, and that's about... It's right at 26 episodes a year, so what we're doing is we're just calling a season 25 episodes, and then the 26th episode will effectively, that 26th, uh, what would be the 26th week, we take off. So uh, probably we'll pull send like a, might, might put out like an off the, uh, an in the moment episode or something, just kind of recapping the previous year and what we're doing in the next year. I think that's kind of what we're looking at at the moment. So, but we're doing 25 episodes a year. And what's crazy is this is episode 24 and 25 will be the last of the first year. So I'm just absolutely humbled. I'm just, I can't believe that we've had people sticking with us this long and got some really exciting things for episode, uh, for year two slash season two, as I'm calling it. And uh, very excited to share those with you guys here in the coming weeks. Um, but before we get too far gone into just looking at a year, you know, the year ahead and the year past, today's episode is super cool. And I'm excited about who I have on. His name is Brent Moore. He is a retired, um, I'm literally pulling up his business card now to make sure I say it right. Lieutenant Brent Moore, and he is a retired from retired lieutenant from the Georgia Department of Public Safety. And how we met is really interesting. It was he's he's another one of these folks that before the podcast or before, you know, we had not really met much didn't really know each other prior to recording the podcast or, or very we very shortly before that. And I don't want to spoil too much, so I'll let the podcast, our conversations, you know, share with you guys how we met and it was kind of cool and a little bit uh, just another day in the life of drone operations, and that's that's the only hint I'll give you. It is involving drones, um, but basically, uh, Lieutenant Brent Moore, what he he's he would anti-terrorism effectively. Like they, what they did was they would uh, for like the Super Bowl and uh, for special big special events for Georgia uh, of that nature and large scale things, but you know other things as well. They would go and make sure, and they would surveil. Uh, do surveillance for, um, you know, radiation detection, and they would use some really cool technology. He would get in helicopters, and he actually would fly and still does fly drones, but drone technology is one of the, probably one of the neatest technologies that he used in his um, operations with the Georgia Department of Public Safety, and that's all I'm going to say because I just want to dive into it, but that's enough to get you interested, hopefully, and I am excited to share you share with you guys the conversation I had with my new friend, Brent Moore. So, Brent, here we are. We are, well, I'll let you talk. I'll let you share about where we are in a second, but we both have both of our copies in hand. Yes. You've got, uh, what are you drinking on there? Black Ruffle. Black Rifle. Okay, we've talked about Black Rifle, mm-hmm. and I'm drinking on Starbucks. In fact, uh, one of my recommendations today uh, that I'll talk about at the end of the episode is what I'm drinking right now, and it's actually kind of cool. Starbucks is doing uh, uh, something that I've actually had in my mind for a long time that I wish they would they would have done, and I got an email two days ago or three days ago, and they've actually started doing it. So I'll talk about I'll talk about that again. Or more later at the end but man so thank you so much for coming on the show and um you know off the cuff is uh this is actually the first episode we've we're recording in 2024 we've released uh two episodes so far but this this is the first recorded in 2020 isn't that nuts that it's 2024 man yeah man it seems like yeah i mean i know we'll get talking about it and stuff but god man it seems like this uh, past few years have just flown by man it seems like the whole covid deal was yesterday i know yeah it's like 2024 is like golly it's like 2020 yeah i i funny it's funny i actually so funny you say that because for years i went to this thing called the possum drop yeah which is in tallapoosa georgia which is pretty close to here and are you familiar with the possum drop oh very familiar with it okay well then for the listener who's never heard of the possum drop uh effectively what they do is it's this town in in georgia called tallapoosa and they put a possum a stuffed possum a taxidermed possum 
in this glowing ball and they drop it at midnight. Because um, apparently I was told that Tallapoosa means possum snout in like, uh, like Native American dialect or something, but apparently I looked that up and I don't, I don't believe that's actually true. But apparently there's a connection, some kind of connection with possums in Tallapoosa. And uh, the, the 2020, I, I probably went to nine of these things. And they all went off perfectly, but the 2019 going into 2020, there was a hiccup on the, in the possum drop, and it actually, like, got stuck. I remember that. You were there for that? I, I, was, I wasn't there, but I had a lot of friends that I worked with that were from that area, so we used to always harass them about, you know, dropping a possum at midnight. So, yeah, yeah. That, was a, that was a topic of conversation. It was hilarious because, and, you know, at the time, you don't think about it, but how symbolic was it that, 2019 going into 2020 the possum like stuttered and like didn't want to go yeah yeah the possum trying to back up yeah it was like i was like oh my gosh that's like too serendipitous for me man i'm like oh that's kind of spooky when i think about it but um but yeah 2024 man crazy time crazy that it's been that you know four years since since this since covid start, uh, started at least in the u.s um what are your thoughts on uh well you might, we might as well talk about it what are your thoughts on the whole covid situation like what, 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 how did that, uh, how did that impact you? Cause we'll talk about a little, I, and in the episode I do like a, so when did you retire first? Let me back up. Uh, was it after COVID? Yeah, it was right in the middle of COVID. Okay. Actually, uh, my official retirement day was, uh, September 1 of 2020. Okay. And I do a two minute introduction before we actually begin recording. So I, they'll already know a little bit about our context, who you are. So what was, how did COVID impact you and your on the tail end of your career there how what, what are some of the things you saw impact you know, in your career there well it was really uh it, it was really crazy because i think it was around february march i guess when the the shutdowns really started taking place and uh when governor kent was issuing the executive orders you know pretty much shutting everything down uh really enforcement of all that fell back on us so uh, even at the time, me being assigned to the uh, command staff at headquarters, it was still, you know, we were having to get out and really go, you know, our, our assignment was to go p- patrol for, make sure that um, businesses, were, businesses were adhering to the executive orders, uh, that that kind of thing. And then that, uh, it was kind of, that was kind of odd is the, the shutdown part of it. And that kind of flowed right into the, uh, George Floyd riots that happened down into Atlanta where, you know, the social distances and isolation just kind of went out the window. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, you're down there at Centennial Park with 50,000 people going around and, you know, it was uh, it was interesting. Yeah, man, it, it's a, uh, that's interesting because I, I don't know if I've actually talked about that, how it impacted. I've actually talked, I've had a cop on and I did a ride along with a friend of mine who's a police officer, but I didn't actually talk to him. I don't think about how COVID impact all that. Um, that stuff, his operations, that kind of thing. So, well, very cool. So before we get too deep, too much deeper into our conversation, let's just start out by talking about how we met and where we are and why we're here. That's just how I like to start every conversation yeah. with, basically. So we met. You want to talk about that, how we met? Yeah, it was a Darlington football game. I mm-hmm. was uh, was there watching my son play, and uh, uh, <clears throat> I noticed the, the drone flying over the, the stadium, and then uh, – you know, started hearing all the announcements about ground and draws and stuff like that. So I was kind of curious. I just happened to walk to the concession stand and I, I walked right by y'all. And uh, you know, I was just kind of with with my background, with my job and stuff, and flying draws and stuff. I was just kind of kind of a little curious. So I figured I'd just walk over, just kind of see what the the setup y'all had. I thought it was you know it was pretty interesting. You know, we all do you know because I always like the the way Darlington does things with their, you know, live feed of the games and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. it makes it makes it easier when they got a game four or five four or five hours away, and it's like you know you, you get tied up with work or something like that, and it's like, well, crap, you know, I want to you know, see your kid play or whatever. Well, you know, being able to watch it on TV is kind of nice. Yeah. So, and for the record, the, they were saying grounding the drone, the drone that they were wanting to ground, the officials were <laughs> wanting to ground, <laughs> was not you. That was not me. <laughs> we were there. You. We were there officially as drone operators for the live stream production and uh, someone else saw that we had the drone and they took yes. their drone out because they thought it was okay to have a drone and uh the officials they literally froze the game they yeah, stopped yeah. the game for about 10 minutes yeah because this person had they wanted this unknown person this pilot to to uh to land their drone so but for the record that wasn't us but we were there flying a drone we were we were 
officially there. So, um, and a friend of mine, Nathan Patterson, he owns a company called Northwest Georgia Media, mm-hmm. and uh, it's his company that produces the live stream for sports, uh, high school sports in this area, and they do more than just sports, but um, that's what we were there. We were there. He uh, had brought us along to do some drone work for them. So, and then you were at the game, and uh, so there we go. That's, uh, and we have, that was only a few months ago, maybe two or three months ago. Yeah, it was what? Probably in October. Yeah, something right. like that. So, yeah, we've not known each other very long, but we got to talking, and I was like, you got to come on the podcast. And I told <laughs> you about it within like 10 minutes. I was like, I got a podcast, man. Let's, let's go ahead and get you on, and you'll click, quickly understand, you know, the listener to them. It's like, they'll, they'll quickly understand why this is going to be a, full, a cool conversation. So, and also, just quick disclaimer, too, I'm still coming over. I'm on the tail end of a cold, so uh, if you guys notice that I'm a little bit stuffy today, that's why. I don't feel bad at all, just a little bit stuffy, so apologies if I sound a little different than normal, but, um, and also actually got the uh, clear Invisalign, those little, those the clear oh, yeah, yeah. liner things. Yeah. I got those recently, and I may sound different because of that as well, but I don't know. Yeah, I had those for a little, uh, little while, yeah, it did, it, it, it may talk in different. Yeah, a little bit different. I'm getting pretty used to it now. But between that, those two things, you might notice a little bit of a different sound coming for me. But uh, so next, let's talk about where we are and why we're here. Right. So where where are we at? So Barnwell Chapel at Berry College. So Berry College. So we're both from Rome, Georgia. Um, we've both been we've worked outside of Rome, Georgia. We've traveled. You've traveled a lot more than I have. But, uh, you know, we both have worked outside of, out of Rome. But it is nice when I found out that you're from Rome. And what school did you go to again? Model. Okay, so you went to Model for our local listeners. Model, I'm a pepper boy. Uh, so my math skills are not the best. <laughs> well, that's, I, I can't blame that on the school. I just, I lost interest in math long ago. But, uh, but yeah, so we're here at, at Berry College, which is uh, very interesting. It's one of the... It's actually known by as one of the most beautiful colleges in the world. It's the largest campus in the world from an acreage standpoint, or at least it used to be. It may be number two now. I don't know, but it's... Yeah, I think it still is. I think I looked at it the other day. Somebody was asking me about it. I think it's still ranked number one as far as size. Yeah, as far as acreage, I think it's like 27,000 acres yeah, or something like that. So it's very big. It's very historic. Um, and actually, Henry Ford built one of the um, buildings here. It's called uh, the Ford Building. It's actually the Ford Dining Hall. And... In fact, I'm so I'm getting I, I'm already married, but we're having a big uh, one year vow renewal in June of this year, and we're actually getting married here. Uh, nice. It was actually so Ford the Ford Building. We're having our big uh, reception, and then there's a chapel about on the other side of campus called College Chapel. We're getting actually the ceremony over there. So this is and my wife went to Barry. Uh, my mother-in-law actually taught here. Uh, she was the over the preschool for several years. So Barry is just, you know, a significant place really in history, bro- much broader than just Rome, because I mean, Martha Barry's impacted and she's the, the founder, the original founder. And, uh, you know, she's had communication with presidents and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Henry Ford, like I said, she had a relationship with Henry Ford and he came here and uh, was a was a big donor. And one of the buildings is named after him. So it's really, really wild. But um, what do you think about Barry when you think about Barry College? Man, I, I, I love Barry. I spend, uh, man, I forget how many years ago it's been now, but uh, me and my cousin actually started riding mountain bikes here about years ago. And uh, so I still, you know, I get a chance to ride or whatever. I'll still come over here or, you know, days, uh, uh, you know, get a chance to go run or just, you know, get out and do a little head clearing or whatever, man. It's got some very uh, beautiful places to hang out at. And I know you said that you like to come out here uh to clear your head, because that's one of the things I like to ask my guests. I say, you know, let's go somewhere that's significant to you, because if you're a first-time listener, the thing about this podcast is that it's, it is off the cuff. There's very little planning that goes into it, because I want it to feel like, you know, we're, you're just, as the listener, you're just sitting at, with us at like a coffee shop, just hanging out, talking, you know, so I like to learn stuff in real time with the listener. Um, but one of the things I like to do and what's unique about this podcast is it's documentary style. We record out of studio and we utilize the real world sounds. In this case, we're actually inside a chapel because it is super cold outside and I can't think longer than 10 minutes without cold. It's not really that cold, but to try to conduct a creative 
fulfilling conversation. Mm -hmm. For me personally, I need a little bit more warmth than that. <laughs> so it's not terrible, but it's definitely not warm by any stretch of the imagination. But um, so I asked Brent, I said, so where's a place you like to go to kind of clear your head? Where's a place you go to think that's, that's relaxing to you? And you said that Barry College is where you go to you do some biking and mm -hmm. high, uh, running, right. correct? Yeah. So tell me about that. Like, what is it about, with your background especially, I know, I mean, you're just, you know, being physical is, you know, a super part of your life as it is in your career, but apparently in your personal life. What do you say about that? How does that impact your daily life and the way you think and meditate or process the world? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, I, I found a long time ago that, you, you know, I mean, it's with, with, you know, anybody's life, anybody's job, anything like that. I mean, you get, you get stress build up, you know, and, uh, I was one of those hard headed stubborn people that for years was just like, man, I'm, I'm good. Don't talk about anything, don't even do anything, whatever. And, uh, you know, let, let myself go get out of shape pretty bad, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And, uh, it, you know, it just kind of, kind of hit, hit me one day, you know, especially being a, Especially being a parent stuff is like, man, it's like, you, you know, you're, you know, you're not only in my, in a position of setting an example at work, but I got examples I got to set in my personal life too. And, uh, so, you know, like I say, growing, growing up around here, I'd spent time over here and stuff. And, uh, my, my cousin, he actually went to college here for a little bit. And, uh, so like I say, that's kind of how we got together and started, started doing the mountain biking deal and stuff. And it was just, uh. You, you know, you, you, you learn exactly where your cardio is when you try to ride up to the house of dreams on a bike. Uh, in which case, uh, I couldn't find my cardio. It was so far gone. So. <laughs> well, the house of dreams, how, that's a, a, a very famous hiking trail here that leads to a beautiful, like, cottage basically yeah. on a hill. How, what's the, is it three quarters of a mile or multiple miles? How long is that? Do you know? The, from, from the the lot to the house of dreams, I want to say is right at three miles. Oh, three miles. Okay, yeah, and, and it's, it's uphill. I mean, the whole yeah, thing is constantly elevated. Yeah, you know, I think it's like a twelve or thirteen hundred foot climb. Okay, yeah. I mean, because I've done it one time, um, and it. I mean, I just I was not in any rush. I was really, I was stopping and smelling every rose there was, and that's partially because I just. <laughs> I had to take my time because I didn't really have another option because I don't, I don't hike a whole lot. But man, it is beautiful. So it if you're is. ever in the Rome, Georgia area, which a lot of our listeners are local, but there's a lot of listeners that aren't local. But man, a lot of people come to Rome, and I've said this before on the show that um, more people know about Rome than I give it credit. Mm -hmm. um, like I'll because I work in Chattanooga, Birmingham, Atlanta, surrounding cities, and nine out of ten people know of Rome, Georgia, or have been to Rome, Georgia. Um, and I think it's just because it is such a historic town. I mean, the nine, the, you know, the, they brought the Olympic in the, was the Olympics, was it 19, was it 94, 96. 96. 96, the 96 yep. Centennial Olympics, the torch came through Rome. Right. And they actually uh, held the torch up. There's a, there's a very famous clock tower here and they held the torch at the top of the clock tower. And a lot of people don't know that. I don't know that. And we actually did a documentary, a 10 minute documentary on the clock tower and nobody knew for sure. It's so funny about that because we, for I'd heard rumors that they had put the they had taken the torch to the top of the tower, but nobody knew for sure. Nobody could, without a doubt, verify it. I talked to historians, city people, and I put a post on Facebook. Does anybody have evidence that they took the torch to the top of the tower, the the clock tower? This is a hundred plus foot tower. Uh, you know, pretty tall. You can see it everywhere because it's on. A, you can see it everywhere in the town because it's up on a hill. Um, and I had somebody respond and said, yes, we actually were there and we took a photograph of it. They sent it to me. So we actually uncovered that photograph and made it public that indeed, yes, the torch actually hit the top of that. Was it that they took the top? They took the torch to the top of the tower. And there's a picture of me and my friend uh, when we were producing the film holding the torch. Nice. It's at the museum. Um, so that was really cool. But yes, it's like Rome is just super historic. You know, one of the first ladies is actually buried in Rome. Mm -hmm. um, she... Uh, was it was the it was the first wife of one of the presidents? Yes, yeah, uh, President uh, Woodrow Wilson. Wilson, yeah. yes, it was his first wife, and yep. he actually was going to be buried here, but then his second wife said, "No, I want you to be buried with me." So you know, it's so funny because one of the presidents of the United States actually intended to be buried in Rome. So it's just wild, you know. And I, I love Rome, and there's a lot of quirkiness to it. But uh, we're both from Rome, so and I, I you know, and I haven't really talked a whole lot about the history of Rome on the podcast, but being two Romans it's uh, kind of hard not to talk about yeah it is so um because it's history that impacts everybody it's not you know at least in this country it's tied to a lot of people so uh but anyway so let's 
Enough of that. Let's talk about the meat of it. Let's get to the crooks of what we're here to talk about. And that's you. Let's talk about, so what did you do? How would you sum up your career and where you retired? How long you worked? And just sum it up for me. So uh, I started with the state. It's with the Department of Public Safety in 2003. And uh, I had to take a uh, medical retirement in September of 20. So I was right at right at 17 years hard time with it and so um, I did that and uh, uh, when I retired I was a lieutenant over special operations I worked out of our headquarters in Atlanta um, then I was the uh, well actually I found it in was the commander of the state's nuclear radiological detection team uh, we specialize in uh, radiological nuclear counterterrorism activities yeah um, spent a lot of time doing that I spent a lot of time uh, working with the legislature you know, drafting legislation, doing various things like that. So, uh, uh, spent time traveling around the country. I was an associate staff instructor for the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration's National Training Center. Um, so, you know, I, I guess counter wise, it's probably a, you know, it was a shorter career than what I wanted, but I got to do a pretty decent bit during that 17 years. You know, got to see a lot of places, got to do a lot of things, um, got to see a lot of, Got to be involved in a lot of cool stuff, you know, Super Bowls, World Series, that kind of thing. So it's uh, it was definitely interesting. So tell me, it's one of the things that stood out to me. So was the Super Bowls, and then like when the presidents would come to town, um, you had to like I know those are two separate things, but like tell me a little bit about that. Like what goes, what so what did you do? For, let's start with the Super Bowl. Uh, let's start with that. So what would, what did you have to do for that? For the Super Bowl, what Super Bowl was it? So that was Super Bowl Fifty Three when it came to Atlanta. Oh, of course, one in yeah. Atlanta. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, with with my team, the doing counterterrorism ops that we did, we worked with the um, Department of Energy and National Nuclear Security Administration for uh, you know quite a few days out ahead of the Super Bowl, and basically what we were doing was pre-event sweeps for uh, any venues that the NFL had reserved. Uh, hotels for the players you know the stadium the, the you know the men's the whole 90 yards the world congress center any any event that was being used um we were there you know sometimes at four o'clock in the morning doing sweeps to to lock it down um you know sometimes throughout the afternoon just depending on what was going on so it was a lot of uh a lot of back and back and forth the venues just making sure that there's no radiological nuclear threats there uh we worked in in conjunction with the uh canines doing the ex, uh explosive detection so they kind of ran their side we kind of ran our side so that was that was pretty much the, the the gist of the super bowl and then what about with like presidential related activity what what did you have involvement with that so the, the that kind of varies because the Secret Service runs a pretty tight ship with that. Yeah. So it it really it really varies depending on what what's going on. Uh, if they're just coming through pretty quick, I mean, it usually just winds up turning into just you know shutting traffic down in Atlanta, which is never an easy task for anybody oh. to you know get get it from point A to point B. Um, then we all the way up to when the uh, Braves were at the World Series. Um, I was still down there working with the guys. Um, you know when uh, President Trump came in one night, so it was still uh, it still. I mean the, the operations are still pretty much about the same, regardless of you know if we're doing the uh, dignitary protection or if we're doing event sweeps or something like that. It's still go in, sweep, clear it, lock it down, and then let it go from there. What are some of the technologies that you guys use? And, and again, there might be some of this stuff you can't talk about publicly, you know, and please feel free to tell me if there's if I get too close to home in some of these questions. But like, what are some of the technologies or what are some of the most, you know, the kid in you, you know, kind of revert back to the kid in you when you like think about what you did on a daily basis? Like, what are some of the most things that wowed you the most, you know, in the terms of what you did, the technology, the tools, the people? the camaraderie the community whatever it is what wowed you the most wow man that, that's a that, that, that conversation conversation could go a lot of different routes right there i mean from from the tech side you, you know it, it, it amazes me and this is where you know i have a tendency to nerd out every now and then well please nerd out this podcast is for the nerds man i can tell you right now we've we've nerded out many a time on this podcast yeah so when you're 
uh, when you're looking at the, the radiation and stuff, it's like you, you you know it's there. You can't see it. You can't feel it. You can't interact with it. But you you know that it's there. I mean, it's like even said in this chapel now. I mean, we're dealing with background radiation that's coming from the Earth itself. You know, so to be able to take uh, what is uh, whether it's a backpack, carbon system, helicopter system, um, drone system, or whatever, to be able to take what is essentially a massive salt crystal in there um, is take that and then not only detect that radiation of how much is coming but to actually tell you exactly what the isotope is and at the the speed the equipment operates in I mean it just first time I saw it I was like man you you kidding me I mean this is the same this is essentially the, the sodium iodide crystals is essentially the same technology that's been around since the Manhattan Project you know, so some of the, the the ways the detection is done through the algorithms and stuff like that has evolved over time. But the base size of it is still the same. And just just it to me, it's just it was mind blowing to think of, you know, wow, you got this whole other world that you can't see that's going on out here. But now you got equipment that can detect it. Yeah. You know, tell you where it's at, help you locate it and identify it. And, you know, so that was. That was a lot of what our job was, was, you know, if we got an alarm, well, you have to determine, is it threat or no threat? Okay, well, you know, well, to do that, you got to know what you're dealing with. Yeah. You know, um, and then when you find it, is it legitimate to be there? I mean, it could be anything from, um, you know, I used to to jump around because, uh, you know, especially being here in Rome and having the, you know, with... uh, Harbor clinic stuff here with the amount of um, PET scans they do, cardiac stress tests, stuff like that. There's radioactive tracers they use for those tests. I can't tell you how many times I've been riding down the road and we get an alarm off somebody passing me. And, you know, it's just, you know, when you when you get that, okay, well, then you have to go in, okay, was it threat or no threat? And then, you know, uh, hope to God it's never a threat. Yeah. But, you know, you still got to go through your process of finding that, you know, if is it, a source that's injected into somebody or is it something that they're actually transporting and then if they're transporting it is it legit um you know some <clears throat> there's a uh you know occasionally I mean, there's you know police reports filed you know around the world of like uh industrial radiographers some of the stuff that they use they use a radioactive source in their camera to x-ray pipes you know there's places around the world those get stolen you know that could be transported and used for a radiological exposure device so you know being able to use that technology and stuff like that to to find that stuff i mean to me it was just amazing when i first saw it so i have i'm a fan of the office and i uh bring this up quite a bit but there's this michael scott moment where he says explain it to me like i'm five to one of his people and he says so that's this is my michael scott moment for the day explain it to me like i'm five how does that help you find bombs so well we're not looking for bombs per se we're looking okay. for a radiological source to determine if it's illicit or not All right. okay so um and what could that source mean for for like the things that you're looking for if it's not necessarily bombs, like what are the different types of things that could you, you could be looking for? Uh, so, well, to, to, to give you an example, like uh, you, if you had a source, you could actually just you know plant that source under somebody's chair, and now they're getting exposed to it, and that exposure over time can cause them to get sick. Uh, give, give give you a good example. Um, one of the I'm sure. You, you probably you may have heard of it. I'm sure some of your listeners have heard of it. But um, one of the things that used to be common in assassinations back in the Cold War was polonium-210, which is a radioactive isotope. Yeah. And, you know, there is uh, documented cases of it where, you know, basically somebody just gets pricked with a small injet of that polonium-210, and then they die from radiation poison. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, that's, that's an example of a non-explosive type that could be used for hmm. Okay. Okay. It's broadening my horizons a little bit. I'm liking. Okay. Interesting. So, wow. Okay. So, I've got several other things I want to talk about, and this has just kind of opened it up even farther. But like, so I know one of the things you talked about was you spent some time on helicopters. Yep. And I know you spent some time, and of course, the main reason we originally connected was the drone technology. Right. And I know you have a drone, and we've talked about that and how. 
uh, you know, you utilize that for various different reasons. And I'd love to talk about that. And um, in fact, let's just start there. Let's start with the, let's start with the helicopter. Like what's, so what did you do on the helicopter and what was the purpose of it? And like, was it mainly surveillance or like radioactive? Like ra- ra- radioactive screening pretty much. Okay. So yeah, so we had uh, the, the equipment we, we used, I could take it out the back of my, it was mounted in the back of my Tahoe and uh, my guys on the team, we had five systems spread out b- between them. So we could pull that out of the back of a Tahoe, load it in the back of one of our helicopters. Um, so this, for instance, like at Atlanta Motor Speedway, if we're going on there for, you know, pre NASCAR event, um, we would fly it, you know, like the morning of, and basically just do a grid pattern, just lay in a, a baseline survey of what's there. So that way, when we come back and did a follow-up survey, if there was any kind of change or whatever, then, you know, you build up see it on your map okay interesting so what uh do you remember the first time you flew a heli- you were on a helicopter because you're not piloting the helicopter right, right. right. you're just yeah. passenger basically yeah I'm, I'm, I'm running the equipment on it okay what what was it like the first time you got do you remember the first time you got on the helicopter oh yeah i, I love helicopters man yeah it's yeah it's um yeah it's yeah if i have my preferred mode of transportation that's what it will be well and i actually have been on a helicopter once and it was for like a a uh it was at a fair and it was like you just get on it for you know 10 minutes or five right. minutes or something like that fly around and i was terrified man i don't even like a flight delta you know <laughs> like i know it's safer and i know i'm gonna get there and it's all gonna be great but i hate the idea of being that high up um but i think it's also the, the super coolest thing in the world the most cool thing in the world too at the same time so like a bunch of mixed emotions there but i remember getting off the helicopter and feeling like the propellers had come off and were chasing me and were going to chop my head off. I don't know what that was about, but it felt like the propellers were chasing me, which is weird. Yeah, I, I felt it, it depends on which one, which type you fly in. Uh, you know, the, the Bell 429 we had was more of a, we, we joked that it was the mainly the governor's helicopter that he got transported in, but it was also the one that held my equipment the way I needed it to be okay. flying there. So we, we used that one. So it was a little bit more plush compared to flying in a Blackhawk which is, you know, a completely different experience. That's true. And how fast would you, would you guys typically, like, how fast were you going? Were you, I guess for surveillance, you probably, for screening, you probably weren't going too fast, probably, right? Uh, yeah, not, not, not too fast. I mean, it's, it's kind of, our altitude, speed, stuff like that is kind of based on exactly what we're doing at that time. I mean, we, we did a lot of pre-event, pre-event sweeps, but yeah. we also did a lot of, uh, exercise-based scenarios of, you know, a stolen source somewhere we're trying to track down and things like that. So it really, kind of how you play in your air ops is kind of dependent on exactly what you're doing at that time. Okay. So that's it. So, and then that, is that what inspired your interest in drones or is that what led to drone? Because as drone technology improved, you would have to spend probably less and less time in a chopper. Well, I would I would think, but I don't know. Is that, is that what inspired your no transition to drone technology no no because we use the drones kind of in conjunction oh really with okay. everything yeah because i mean the detectors that, that come out on the drone is let's just uh it, you know there there's places i can put a backpack on and go do a survey or sweep or something like that that's um you know it's, i know it's gonna take me x amount of time to do that or now i can take put a detector on the drone and sit in that down range and you know get it done faster uh, but also, like, um, under DPS, when we've been on the commercial vehicle side, you know, we always looked at it from a response standpoint, too, that if we have to, worst-case scenario, if something happens, and we've got to respond to a live incident, if I know there is a chance that one of my guys taking a high exposure of radiation, I would rather put the, I'd rather put the detector on the drones and the drone downrange and bring it back, you know, decon, decontaminate it, all that stuff versus you know sending one of my guys down there and risking their exposure and, and their health on there so you know we had a lot of a lot of different aspects to look at on that yeah well and one thing that i talk about too is a lot of people don't know this and it surprised me how people many people don't know this but you actually have to be a licensed to fly a drone uh for commercial reasons or for you know any reason that goes beyond the hobby right you know, and we talked about that a little bit, and mm-hmm. you know, which for me, you know, that was my only, because I've been a pilot, licensed drone pilot for about seven years. 
Um, and back then, it was even stricter than it is now in the sense of like licensing, because you had to you had to take your test. I was I took like a, a month long online class to learn all the stuff because you have to learn how to read sectional charts. You have to understand cloud patterns and fog and la you know landing patterns for airplanes and like it was nuts. Yeah. What all you had to learn? I mean, I had to, it was like a month of studying, um, and you have to go to a you still to this day have to go to a like a basically a flight school, an official flight school, and they take your cell phone. They take they you're on you're under surveillance. It's mm -hmm. a written exam that's on a computer, but um, you know it's a big deal, and you had to do that every two years. Now you you don't have to do that every two years. You just have to go online and do like a it's a free like a renewal. Yeah, like a continuing education. Yeah, it's bit. not like you have. But I I took that test under surveillance. Probably I want to say it was three times, three or four times. Um, I think it was three times, but now it's just, it's much simpler, but it's still the same to get the initial license. And uh, so what all did you have to do? You know, did you have to do, was it the same test? Or like, what did you have to do in terms of licensing or training to get to the point to where you could fly the drone for police work or, you know, yeah, pretty much the the same process. Okay. I had to take the online class. I had to take the part 107 test. Yeah, part 107. Uh, yeah. That's what that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, so yeah, there, there's no... Just when it comes to just a drone flying, there's nothing special that we had to do outside of what just the normal okay. requirements are. And my drones are much more te uh, geared towards cinematography for obvious reasons. And your or your drone is more like you have different bells and whistles that I would never need, you know, in your drone. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell me about that. Like, what are some of the technologies and tools and like what makes your drone so unique? I love the fact that it can fly in the rain <laughs> like that to me, like. I would love to have that, but that's just like overkill for what I mean. Most cases, yeah, yeah. So my 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 drone, yeah. I mean, it's uh, IP rated, so it can handle. I mean, obviously not gonna fly in a thunderstorm or anything, but you know, it's just a, you know, just your average rain or whatever. It's it can still fly. Um, thermal cam on there. Um, you know, it's got the uh, that the standard cameras with 48 megapixel like a 200 times zoom or something yeah the zoom that, so. is what like the 200 times zoom is <clears throat> insane like what you can do like um and what's the what's the name of the drone it said i know it's dji but it's a m30t m30t yeah so if you go on google just and i can put a link to it in fact i'll, I'll link the drone in the show notes so if you want to see what drone he's flying i'll uh i'll put a link to it it's really really cool but the thermal camera like that's super cool. Can you change it? Is it mainly like the like the white thermal? No, you you, you can change it uh, if you want the white hot, the black hot. Do you want the red highlights on there? I mean, it's yeah, it's got six six different settings on there. I think I can use. And I know a lot of people, a lot of firemen use that because they can the, the ther well, ther well thermal cameras specifically. I don't know so much about. I guess they use the drone. I'm sure they do. Um, but I know that's interesting because they can see they can look a look at a house and see. Right the hot where the where the fire is without having to go in right you know to discover that so that's just really cool because what what drone technology has done for military um man really there's two things when i think about the past 10 years what is and really when i think of two of the things that has, has created the most impact on change is uh, drones and ai yeah like that's i mean yeah. when you think about that like what that is doing and i've i've talked about ai before on this podcast with some some other like kind of experts tech experts and stuff you know um so i don't know if you have any thoughts on ai or wanted to you know if you had anything you're just like burning something you want to say about ai feel free to but the drone technology has changed so many industries you know search and rescue film film, yeah, film television is, yeah i mean it's even if you look at just the 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 technology on board the drone. I mean, I've, I have a one. Uh, uh, my other drone is a DJI M six hundred Pro, so it's got the six props on there, a twelve pound capacity to carry on it. And uh, you know, it's one of their older legacy drones, but it's what I put my detector on. Uh, so I mean, if you just look at the technology just from a few years ago when that six hundred came out to what's on the M thirty now, I mean, man, it's just the the way it's evolving. It's crazy. Yeah. And like my drone, so I have three drones. I just, I just bought a third. Um, it's an FPV drone, which is a first person view drone. And it's really cool because it's, it's the DJI Avada. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with, but it's a super cool drone. Um, and it's like, it's, it's aerobatic and it can, um, it looks more like flying a bird, like from a, like almost looks like you're the, like the way it moves. 
and kind of swoops and goes up and down and side to side. It's like a very much like a bird. And if you go to our Instagram page, you can see it. There's a couple things on there right now that I posted from the from that drone. But the other drone is a it is a Mavic Three DJI. All my drones, both of our all of our drones, mine and yours, are DJI, which is basically the gold standard. It, yeah, that, that's one thing about it. I mean, I know DJI is catching a bad rap for a lot of things right now, but you're hard pressed to find anything that's going to be better than that. Yeah, they 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 pretty much set the standard for the drone industry. Yeah, and there's some other drones out there that I've been interested in, like the Skydio, mm-hmm. uh, which was developed by former Tesla uh, engineers. Mm-hmm. And it basically, it's amazing what that drone can do. I don't, the image quality, I'm not sure is quite where I want it to be last time I checked, but the technology, I mean, it can literally, it's basically like a Tesla in the sky. You know, that thing can fly, it can, it creates 3D maps of its environment and just basically, you don't even need to worry about it crashing. You know, it's pretty cool. But like the drone I have, uh, the main drone I use, it has that uh, environment mapping too. And it, it, not to the full extent that the Skydio does, but it, I mean, I don't have to worry about crashing that thing at all. I mean, other than like, you know, really fine like power lines or tree limbs, you know, but it will, it creates a map and it's, it, you know, I could just fly it straight towards a tree and just by flying forward, it's going to fly around that tree. Well, I don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so it's really, really cool. It has automatic obstacle avoidance. It's just super cool. Um, and the image quality is just stellar. I mean, 5.3K resolution. Um, a pretty good picture as well. I can't remember the megapixels because I pretty much only do video. Um, but it's just amazing what all that, that has done. Like, even in, like, the war, is it, is it the like war in Ukraine, they were using drones. There was a big story about. Oh, yeah. They've been doing those for real. Uh attaching mortar shells to it and things like that, try to do so, you know, long range interdiction, I guess you could call it. Yeah, it's just, it's nuts. I mean, it's like, and they're so affordable. I mean, they're not free by any means, but relative to what that kind of technology would have cost 30 years ago, you know, 20 years ago, um, it's basically dirt cheap, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, So it's amazing the accessibility that drones, the drone technology has now. You know, anybody can afford a drone. It's not going to be the best drone, but you can, anybody can basically go to Walmart and purchase a drone then with a camera on it and fly it around, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and we can have a whole conversation about privacy laws and uh, really nerd out about drone, like law and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I don't necessarily want to go down that rabbit hole because that could be, we could go forever on that. But like, it's amazing, like... People like spying and you know espionage and like people abusing what you're not supposed doing with drones what you're not supposed to be doing. It's not super common. I mean, it's not like it's something you every day you wake up and there's somebody with a drone spying on you. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's happened. You know, people are flying their drones in places they're not supposed to fly them. They're, uh, you know, yeah, breaking well, privacy laws. Yeah, and the, one of the craziest things I've I've seen though is you know you deal with so many people just like well if, you know, if I see a drone over my house I'm gonna shoot it down. Okay, well it's you know, FAA says that's pretty much the same penalty as shooting down an airliner. Yeah. I mean, it's a registered aircraft. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is actually a felony. It's a felony to shoot down a, um, a drone. Yeah. Now, I have, um, there are some limits to that. I don't know exactly. I, I, did, I know somebody who actually shot a drone down and he, did, he, he didn't get arrested because the drone was like 30 feet, like, the, the drone was like 30 feet above his property. So somebody was flying it and on his property, 30 feet up in the air, flying around, like looking at him, like clearly spying on him. Mm-hmm. And he shot it down mm-hmm. and the police came and it was a big deal. They were there for like several hours and they had to call multiple people, multiple departments to make sure what he did was not a felony. Right. And I think it had something to do because it was too low. First, first of all, the person flying it you have to maintain light of sight. So the right. person flying it was violating FAA regulation because they couldn't see the drone. Obviously, it was below the tree line. The pilot was nowhere to be seen. So the pilot was violating that regulation. So between that and the fact that he was so low, the pilot was so low to the ground, maybe that's, but that's interesting. But yeah, if you just see one flying over your house and it's, you know, 200 feet in the air, you shoot that down, that's a, that's a felony. Yeah. So, um, but again, I'm not a, I know enough about this stuff to keep me out of prison. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a lawyer, you know. So uh, don't go to me for legal advice. But generally speaking, that's uh, pretty accurate what I'm saying. So, um, but yeah. So we're getting actually pretty close to time here. I know it's crazy. 
you know, that we've, these always go by so fast, yeah. but uh, um, let's kind of, as we come to a wrap or come to a close, I want to just talk about what, what are some of the things and you think about your career and what are some of the most unexpected um, things or some of the most unexpected aspects of what you did? Well, it's a little things that you just never would have imagined. Like when you, when you signed up for the job, like, man, I never thought I was going to get into this. Well, I, I, I never would have thought I'd have gotten into the, to the radiological side like I did. Yeah. You, you know, and, and that, that's one thing I find now is like, yeah, I, I get asked a lot, you know, people find out like, oh, you're going to retire, you know, 20 years state law enforcement and stuff like this. Like, and it's always like, oh, I bet you got stories about fighting drunks and doing this and doing that. And it's like, man, when I retired, I ran a rad new counterterrorism thing. Man, we, we specialized in radioactive, radioactive stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that blow, yeah. it blows a lot of people's mind, you know, and, an invisible enemy. Yeah. And, you know, I never, uh, you know, when I first started, uh, it was just kind of one of those things I just, uh, deal with the hazmat stuff about that. Just it, for whatever reason, it just clicked with me. It mm-hmm. was just, man, it was just like, I just fell right into it and it was, it was just easy. And, uh, so I, it kind of, it kind of more from, from that going forward, which is, you know, a whole nother story, but it's, uh, yeah, that, that's probably one of the things I never would have ever dreamed I would have got into. And, you know, now to post retirement, you know, actually doing some, uh, side work for a nuclear instrumentation company is, man, I, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, if I'd have been here today doing that, I'd have been like, man, you're crazy. You know, what would you say is thinking about your job, like what you do today, or even at any point in your career, pre post retirement, like what, what are some of the biggest challenges you face? Like what are the, some of the most consistent things that you deal with that are just obstacles and time and time again, you just, the hardest things to overcome. Public perception is a big one. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, this is probably striking there with a lot of people, but you know, one of my biggest pet peeves was, you know, if I just stop by, you know, race try to get gas go inside and get some coffee or whatever and you know i'd have you know you see a parent there with a little kid or whatever and it's like oh if you, you know that police is going to go up here and arrest you uh i just that that that's that struck a nerve with me because i always i've always had a soft spot for kids and it's uh you know it's almost like you know you, you won't you don't want people to be afraid you know i then it's it would, as with any profession i mean you got your bad apples everywhere you, you know but um you know one thing we always yeah, you know, we always tried to hold tried to hold ourselves to a higher to you know a the high standard as we possibly could and it's just uh you know i, I think that that one in particular but i think just public perception overall was was one of the biggest issues especially probably over the last uh i said probably from 2016 when the the whole Ferguson deal happened, you know, going forward, it's, it's been it's been real. What um, and it kind of sparked some other things in my mind to think about, but like just camaraderie. And actually, I talked about this with the with the uh, police officer I had on, but like how important. And we talked about trust, you know, with with him, and. So that's something that really kind of baffled me was just the weight of the thought of when you're working with people, your coworkers, like most people, they go to work. It's like you, you, the person next to them annoys them or pressing two cubicles down is kind of a pain. But with you guys, if you don't trust or, or you don't necessarily have to like your people you work with, but if you don't trust them, that's a big deal. Yeah. Because right. that's a different animal in both military and then also police force and you know all that sort of thing so how would you say that trust how did trust play an important factor in your day-to-day well i mean that's the i mean the reason you're able to do a lot of the things that you do is because you know i mean when the chip is down and you need help you know you've got help yeah you know and uh, you, you see it you see it trans transcend stuff a lot too i mean not only you know do that i know that if you know, if I'm out patrolling and, or if I'm in an event worker and something happens, you know, I know I've got people that are just going to support me. There's, I don't have to look behind me and see if anybody's there because I know, uh, but you know, it even, it even transcends beyond that. Um, like, you know, one of my really good friends, he's the post commander here in Rome now. And, you know, 
Uh, I mean, back you know several years ago, I mean, it's like you know off days. Well, let's go to Barry, let's go to Barry Ride Bikes today. You know, so I mean, it's it's a, a lot of times you you kind of get into it's almost like a like an extended family. I yeah. guess I mean it's like yeah, I mean we'll yeah we'll argue, we'll fight between us and stuff like that. But at, at the end of the day, you never have to look because you know somebody's there for you. Yeah. How do you do? You guys like what do you guys do to? Does that just naturally happen, or are there things that operations or policies or practices that you guys put in place to help build trust, build that trust? Does it just naturally happen, or is it intentional? Or both? I, I, yeah, there's nothing like put in place to like guide you in that direction. I think it's just one of those things. I mean, I, I think for anybody getting to get in that that line of work, uh, you know, and I, saw, I saw this. You know, I always joke. Uh, my granddad was retired army. It's always joking around. You know, I was raised by a retired drill sergeant, so that was kind of kind of fun. But you know, it's uh, <laughs> can't imagine. You, you know, <clears throat> you, you 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 see you see a lot. Now I see a lot of my friends who are vets, and then like say a lot of us and stuff. Is there's a lot of a lot of similar personalities because it's uh, it, it, it's one of those jobs. I mean, it's, it's not for everybody. You know, just like I know sitting in a cubicle doing office work is not for me. Yeah. You well, know. no job is so, for everybody. Yeah. So I mean, it's a, it's it's something that it's just something that kind of happens. Um, I mean, I guess you you go through, I'm sure called trial by fire or or whatever, but you go through enough stuff together. I mean, you kind of you kind of build a bond. I mean, even yeah, even somebody when you first meet them, uh, you you know you you wind them not clicking or whatever, but you know after you go through a few incidents and stuff, man, it's just kind of it kind of builds it. Yeah. So, well, now that I think about it, it's kind of similar and, you know, obviously di- completely different, but still similar in some ways in the film industry, you know, it's kind of like you're going to war together because, you know, in a very lighthearted sense relative to actual war or police work, whatever. Um, but it's like you've got an incredibly daunting task. You're coming together to work. You have to form teams because nobody can do it on their own. You have to rely on your team and, you know, and sometimes you know the people, sometimes you don't, and you have to finish the project. You have to produce something that's going to sell or succeed or whatever it is you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because I think I never really thought about it this way, but man, it's like there's nothing that you do, but with those people, like it's not like you meet, you know, for a week beforehand and be like, okay, we got to trust each other. Let's have a team building exercise. Yeah. It's like you go, you go through the trenches, metaphorically speaking. <clears throat> And you come together, you have disagreements, you may bicker a little bit, but every every time, I, when I think about every instance where I've done a project like that, the people that I work with have become lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. Even if we were only working on a project for a weekend together, they have become lifelong friends, people I touch, you know, I touch base with here and there every now and then, it's been years. So I assume it's very similar to that, or just anything that's high intense, uh, high intensity, uh, work or a mission based and you just have to do it you just have to put yourself aside work together because you're all going for the same thing yeah it's kind of it's kind of funny you you, you know one of the things you mentioned about you know, bickering and getting each other's throat and stuff um part of part of what i did also uh you know if you ever seen when natural disaster hits or something you know rise break loose or whatever uh you know, a lot of times you'll see the news down there at the uh Jima state operations center and uh i spent a lot of time in the soc uh, the way it's broke down in there there's one section that handles law enforcement response for the state and i was kind of the co-coordinator with that with the my, my partner and you know you, you go through a you know a hurricane detail of having to coordinate logistics response everything that goes on with that and you you know you work you know 12 to 18 hours a day for seven or eight days straight you know in a 12 by 12 room with five other people and that constantly getting calls and what's going on trying to coordinate and solve problems stuff like this is you know you're ready to kill each other after about three days yeah you know so you know we I, we used to have a lot of people come up to us like hey y'all, y'all really don't like each other do you I'm like, i can't stand him He's, you know and then i go to him about it we laugh about it yeah you know, so you go through a week of wanting to kill each other and then, then you, you go to lunch or go hang out at each other's house and blast get back laugh about it. You know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's just that. Uh, that's it, it's the the relationships you build like that, or you know, like you say. I mean, they they last. I mean, he uh, I've been retired now for a little over three years. And he's been retired for four, and I'm actually going to be going out seeing him next weekend. Yeah. So there you, you go. know, it's just you know, 
It's cool. It's cool how that happens sometimes. Well, and I mean, every interview I do, or I don't like to really call these interviews, but every person I have on and talk with, the scene, the thing that just rings true consistently is the importance of trust, community, and relationships. Mm. And, and that's just everything. I don't care. This that's that is the heartbeat of humanity. Doesn't matter what you're doing or or where you are. You, you know, community is the universal is a universal language. Mm. You know. Um, and I think there's, there's, there's a lot, it's very interesting. That's something I've learned in doing this. It's kind of known it before, but especially it solidified my understanding of it. It's just how important community is in all walks of life, you know, and I think that's spectacular. So, well, very good, man. As, uh, as, as we come to a close, there's, I want to, we, we always end the show with recommendations. I know I mentioned it to you yesterday. So do you have a recommendation in mind? Oh, you've got me on the coffee thought already today. So, okay. So, and mine, mine's coffee related too. So I like this. I like this. So before we get to that, I don't want to get that just yet. I want to, is there any closing thoughts or any, any word of wisdom from, you know, you know, that you would offer up to send somewhat with someone, you know, either in your field or not in your field, or just like any word of wisdom that you've gathered in the, in your career, in your personal life, just that you'd want to share. You know, probably one of the, Say as I came up with a few years ago, I used to tell a lot of my guys, and you know, I try to, I even today try to drill it in my son's head. Is you know, it's it's nothing. It's it's not about the cards that you're dealt. It's about how you play your hand. Yeah. You know, because everybody's got something in their life. I don't care if it's personal issues, medical issues, spiritual issues, whatever. Everybody's got something. You know, and. What I have, what I have seen, what I've experienced through life is either you can let that tear you down, or you can use it as something to build you up. It's your choice. Yeah. You know, whatever, whatever, how you attack the day is is up to you. you yeah. Know? And that's that's one thing. Like I said, I, I stressed it to my guys every time we were on a, a detail somewhere, something bad would happen. Um, like I say, always trying to, you know, my my son will be seventeen. Next month, so he knows everything already, so he doesn't need daddy's advice anymore. He, yeah, he's, I like to say I'm too old to know everything. Yeah, so he uh, he still gets daddy's advice every day, though, and that, that's one thing I, I tell him is you know never, uh, never say never. One of my favorite quotes was uh, from General Hal Moore was uh, you know three strikes and you're not out. Yeah, there's always something else you can do. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny, uh, there's another, I forgot who said it, but the quote that I've seen before is every, it kind of ties back to what you said, is everybody, and I keep this in mind just about daily, you know, at least when I'm, at least when I'm out in the world with people, you know, uh, everyone's fighting a battle you have no, you have no idea about, mm -hmm. so be kind, you know, and I think kindness, kindness is important, you know, and I think whether you, whether the person that you're interacting with deserves kindness or not, in your opinion or your mind, being kind is only going to help you. You know, if you're kind to a total jerk, you're going to feel better about it the next day, you know, and then maybe it'll help. It'll inspire something in that person. You might be the only person in a month that's been kind to this person. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because uh, one of the jiu-jitsu professors I used to train under, uh, he used to have a saying that, you know, you don't have control over anything. You have influence at best. Yep. And what kind of influence are you going to have? I love that, and that's you know, and that's what it's all about. This is what, and this is why I do what I do, man. It's like because these conversations are not they they start out as interesting conversations with interesting hobbies, careers, or passions or interests, but it always leads to life lessons, man. I always learn something, man. So I thank you so much for coming on the on the podcast. I've learned a whole lot, and as I say every episode, we could go on for two more hours probably and, and not skip a beat. I can't believe it's already been almost an hour at this point, but. Um, so as we, as prime as we always do, let's wrap it up with our recommendation. Do you want to go first? Well, I'll let you go first. Okay. So <clears throat> this is something that's new. I'm really proud of this. Um, and Starbucks, a lot of people don't know this, but you can actually at Starbucks you can get cups that are uh, for there. So for for your cups, what they call. So they're glass ceramic or ceramic mugs, and you can so if you get pretty much any size, they have it uh, for hot beverages or really any beverage. I think iced coffee too, uh, but. So, because I've, I'm not a green freak, I'm not necessarily like a huge, like a tree hugger, so to speak, but I hate waste. I hate the thought of single-use plastic and just throwing away plastics for, and just for the sake of cleanliness or hygiene, and I'm throwing up air quotes for the people that can't see me, but um, 
you know, and I was like, why don't they, because mobile order is big at Starbucks, because on the app, I have it programmed, and just, I can literally tell my phone, hey, you know who, order my iced coffee, it's programmed in, and it's super fast, and I don't often have time to go in and order and wait, um, but you can't bring your own cup by doing that, and you can actually bring your own cup to Starbucks, um, like if you order there, previously you had to be in there and order, and you could bring your own cup, and they give you a 10 cent discount, has to be a clean cup, and you get 25 bonus stars towards your free rewards if you're a reward member. So effectively, it's a dollar. For me, it wound up being like a dollar of a benefit per every time I brought my own cup. But you couldn't do that with mobile order, but now I got it two days ago, or two or three days ago, got an email, and they finally do what I've actually in my head been thinking for probably two or three years. Why don't they just have a picture that they make for a mobile order they just make your drink in a pitcher like a little uh measured pitcher and then pour it into your cup when you get there and it's the same exact thing and you don't have to use plastic single-use plastics got an email they started doing that so now you can do that for a mobile order you can do it through the drive-through you can bring your own cup if you're in the in the store drive-through or mobile order and that's what i did today and i've started doing it and i'm super excited about it i literally walk in Hand of my Yeti, it's perfectly measured to fit the largest size they have. They just, I walk in, they pour it in there, and they rinse their picture out, and I walk out. So no more plastic waste. And of course, I mean, there's going to be times when I'm going to use a plastic cup with them, just for life reasons. And But I've used one cup in the past, one cup, and I go there every day. And I've used one plastic cup since the new year, and I love it. So that's my recommendation. Uh, it's more than one recommendation because it's like the discount you get, the star bonus, the reusable cup, the, the, the waste reduction. So it's a lot of stuff packed into one recommendation. But, man, I really recommend bringing your own and using your own cup at Starbucks. And they're the only, they're the only coffee shop in this country and uh, that actually in the world, I think, that has, has, does use you can bring personal cups for mobile order. I think they're the first in the world, if not definitely the country, but I think, I think it's the world that does it. National coffee shop or like chain or you know that does it. So it's pretty cool. So your recommendation, my friend. Well, I got started, uh, I guess it's probably a few years before I retire now. Uh, my lieutenant colonel got me started on Black Rifle Coffee, and uh, it, it started from just a conversation in his office of. You know, have you ever seen their their marketing videos on YouTube? And I was like, I've never seen it. So, you know, he he showed me. And I was like, man, that's pretty. Their their marketing guys a genius, you know, especially for the the, the community that they're marketing to. And uh, so I I signed up because they had a uh, program called their it was their coffee subscription. So basically, they just drop ship you whatever coffee you want. You sign up, and they just drop ship it to you every month. And uh, so I signed up for that for a couple of years, and uh, then they came out with the uh, exclusive coffee subscription. And so I got really interested in it because they, same thing, so you, you get drop shipped a bag of coffee every month, you know, so you have to pay a little more for it, but it's exotic coffee from different different areas of the world. So you get something different every month with it. Uh, it's been a... It's been, it's, it's been interesting. And what's special? We've talked a little bit about Black Rifle, but what's special about Black Rifle? So for for me, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was founded by a group of veterans. Their uh, president, you know, he's a former Green Beret. He's, uh, their, their marketing is really toward, you know, the military first responder community. And they also do a lot of uh, charity work for veterans, first responders, and, and things like that. So that's really, that's really what's, uh, kind of lured me to them was you know i was i was like man this is, this is pretty cool i mean yeah you, you pay a little bit more but then you get so much you know it goes back to you know causes that are you know obviously with a family of veterans and friends that are veterans and then me being in law enforcement for my career and stuff like that you know it's kind of man i was like man, this this is pretty awesome mm -hmm. that they do that and uh then i just really liked coffee yeah you know i mean it was just re really good and uh you know i never would have thought but actually i think the the best coffee they've dropped shipped me so far was a roast that came from I want to say like from Somalia. Oh yeah, and man, it was it was it was between there and a and a bag I got from uh, Papua New Guinea. Yeah, it was it was just awesome. Yeah, so it's uh that that's kind of been the probably the one addiction that I've had is coffee. Yeah, well, I think uh, addiction for me would be a an improvement. 
what I've had is far beyond an addiction. <laughs> well, we, we used to, my, my sergeant that I had, uh, we had a run, we had a run joke between me and Lieutenant Colonel because you know we had our uh, styrofoam cups in the office that we used and it was uh, who could use their styrofoam cup the longest. Oh my gosh! So my, talking about radioactive. Yeah. So my, my sergeant went. Uh, I forgot him. It was they just unfortunately it was not long before I had to I had to retire and uh, he came in my office one day and he's like, yeah, I see him reach to, to throw my cup away. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, well, what's the company's going to trash? Doesn't it? I was like, no. Oh, well, I was like, still got two, more, two or three more weeks I can use out of it. He's like, well, well, he's like, LT, but man, this thing's a little slow. Look, the coffee's hot enough, man. It'll kill whatever goes in there. So we, we ain't worried about it. <laughs> so, so you know, that was a, that was a running joke around headquarters that, that we had for a while. Was you know who could get the who could get the most use out of a styrofoam coffee cup? There you go. And I actually discovered um, Black Rifle. I was in Pigeon Forge, I think, in Tennessee, and uh, they had a there's a Black Rifle coffee company there. Maybe my granddad went in and I talked to them a little bit about it and saw some signage about, you know, the veteran involvement and the donations and whatnot. So, um, and it was very good coffee. Um, and, I, and, I, and speaking about coffee from other countries or other nations, uh, Guatemala is a really good uh, coffee yeah. blend I love. Yeah, the, I think actually the one I got right now is, uh, I think this is Guatemala. It's yeah. Where this one came from. Yeah, Guatemala is one of my favorites. I've had, uh, like, Ethiopia. I'm not a big fan of Ethiopia. Not the country, but the Ethiopian coffee. Uh, that's a pretty, that's a little bitter for me. Yeah, you know, that's one thing I found about Black Rifles. They're I haven't found any of their coffee that really has a bitter taste to it. It's all really, all I mean, it's got a lot of flavor to it, but it doesn't have that. Well, I hate to say, it, but like you know, the the standard like Maxwell House or Folgers, you got oh, yeah. a little bitter aftertaste or something. And I haven't haven't found that yet. Yeah. Well, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I so I mean, I I concur with you that I've had I've, I've had it myself, and I also agree that is they're very good. Very, I really really recommend if you've not heard of if you've not heard about them or not come across it, I really recommend that as well because that's uh, I can attest is good. Yeah, like I say, black, you, black you know, rifle. Yeah, cough is good. But like I say, you know their their involvement, um, you know through their their fundraisers and stuff. And that's one thing that you know kind of holding whole, whole everything is I've you know. See, seen in a, a lot more fundraiser stuff here lately or doing charitable causes and, and stuff like that that's that's really good so that's kind of kind of near and dear well there you go yeah, for obvious reasons man and i don't yeah so well very cool man well we are just over the hour mark so i appreciate you and uh thank you for your service and uh just for coming on the podcast and chatting with me for here about for about an hour about the, all this super cool stuff and uh you know, feel free to tell everybody it's not a one and done. If you ever want to come back on or have another idea or want to bring on a friend or a guest, you know, that you have, you're like, hey, I'd love to continue the conversation. Let me know and we'll I'll have you back on anytime and, uh, you know, we'll get it going. So, man, appreciate you. And uh, any last words before we wrap it up? Uh, none of them like that. Well, there you go. And sometimes silence is the best answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, my friend, we'll take care. All right.